This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 43. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. Today we're discussing Unquiet Dead from the first season of The New Who, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken from San Diego. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika from Malta, Montana. How's it going? Very good. So the Unquiet Dead, this is where continuing our, uh, we're, we're on two parallel tracks right now, folks, while we're in between uh, seasons of new episodes, where uh, on one track, we're looking at the, all the regenerations of the previous doctors as we gear up for the regeneration of the 12th into the 13th. And we're looking at, uh, we're, we're kind of going back to the beginning of New Who and and following along with the episodes and kind of like what we do with the regular new episodes and just looking at the episodes and uh and, and enjoying them and, and reviewing them and giving our take and finding the secrets that we uncover in them so this is uh the unquiet dead it aired uh, in uh, on april 9th 2005 and it was the third episode of new who and before we get into our discussion i want to play you the sound of the trailer you can go back and see days that are dead and gone a hundred thousand sunsets ago not a bad life we're too. The stiffs are getting lively again. Use the sight. Find the old lady, or you're dismissed. What Pantasmagoria is this? That's more like it. I saw the fall of Troy, World War V. Now I'm gonna die in a dungeon. In Cardiff. I'm not sure what they have against Cardiff, but it came up like twice in this episode was uh, was riffs against Cardiff. Because uh, <laughs> of where they filmed the show. Yes, I, it must be just like an inside joke. Um, so this episode was written by Mark Gaddis, who be, would go on to write many more episodes, uh, especially with yeah. uh, his writing partner, uh, Stephen Moffat. And uh, yeah, so this is his like first first the first Mark Gaddis Doctor Who on screen. Yes. He'd written some tie in. I think he'd written some tie in materials before this, but he did. He wasn't one of the TV writers for Classic Who. So uh, he and, you know, as we know, he ends up uh, will um, co-writing the Sherlock series with uh, uh, Stephen Moffat and playing uh, Sherlock's brother, Mycroft. And, and so but he's a he, he's written a number of of Doctor Who episodes, some better than others. And uh, I have to say right off the bat that of the new Doctors, Christopher Eccleston was not, was, was, was my least favorite, which isn't to say I didn't like him, but I just like the others more. Uh, but mm-hmm. as I'm re-watching these episodes, I have a new appreciation for him uh, and for you know, the way he plays the Doctor. It's very interesting. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that off the, right off the bat. Um, 
I, I guess let me let me recap what we what we're, what's what's happening here. Uh, this is the uh, the recap from the the official TARDIS. I don't know if it's official, but from the uh, the TARDIS wiki, uh, the dead are roaming the streets of Cardiff in 1869 when the Ninth Doctor and Rose Tyler arrive just in time for Christmas, and they team up with Charles Dickens. Yes, that Charles Dickens. Uh, they encounter the Gelth creatures that were sucked through the Cardiff Rift which is a, a plot point uh, that will occur in other episodes from the other end of the universe. Uh, and their home was lost due to the time war, which is mentioned uh, for, I think the first or second time, I think in this series uh, mm -hmm. they're inhabiting dead bodies uh, and, uh, but are, but ask for help. Uh, but can they be trusted? Uh, and that's one of the things we find out is that they can't. Um, so we've gone from the future, the end of the end of the world, literally, uh, in the last episode, to the past, um, and it is is a recurring element in Doctor Who. They they uh, were aiming for a different place in time. Eighteen sixty. Eighteen sixty. Yeah, they were aiming aiming for Naples, eighteen sixty, but they end up in in Cardiff, eighteen sixty nine. Right. Right. Um, and uh, as you heard in the, the sound of the trailer, they had this little exchange between Rose and the and the doctor about, uh, you know, she kind of is philosophical about this idea that he can relive every day that he wants to a hundred thousand times. And he kind of, you know, says, uh, uh, you know, through a sly grin, you know, sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And she and then she says back, you know, it's better with two or he says it's a it's a it's a good life hey and she says better with two and it kind of is building up this momentum of this relationship between them um which will eventually with the 10th doctor become a romantic relationship but i think it starts off as just a platonic friendship of this these two uh personalities who really enjoy this adventuring through space and time this episode is also uh, significant in terms of its placement in the overall series. Uh, in the first episode of The New Who, we had a story set in contemporary London. So that introduced us to The Doctor and to Rose and, and told us this is a science fiction series. But then you need to kind of set the parameters for the show for the audience because we're trying to attract a whole new audience here. They're not just looking for the, the diehard fans who are 40 years old and remember the show from the 70s and 80s. They're, they want all the people, you know, the kids who weren't even alive when the show was originally on the air to become fans of the show. And so they need to show them what the doctor can do. And so in the second episode, The End of the World, we went five billion years in the future and encountered all these alien societies all melding together. And so that showed us one end of the spectrum. And so now the doctor says explicitly at the top of this episode, well, you've seen the future. Now let's go to the past. And that shows the audience that that's also a place this show will go. It's not just f the future and alien worlds. We can also go to Earth's past. And uh, the kind of episode that we have here is one that sort of developed over time. The I, Originally, when Doctor Who began in 1963, there was a bouncing back and forth between the future and the past. But the historical episodes were purely historical. And so the doctor would meet historical figures, but there would be no science fiction elements other than the TARDIS. And that was basically just a means of transport. And over time, the audience, they figured out the audience didn't like um, just purely historical episodes that much with no sci-fi elements. And so they invented a kind of hybrid um, 
historical where it is set in history. The doctor is meeting famous people from history, but there's also something science fictiony in it. And so in this episode, it's set in the 1800s. We've got Charles Dickens, but we also have these alien ghost things. And uh, it's an element in this is, and I don't know if this was an element from the beginning of the historical episodes, but there's always, there's often an element when they encounter this historical figure that the doctor inspires this famous figure from the past or his companion does to to create one of the works that they're well known for, whether it's Shakespeare or, or Van Gogh or, or in this case, Charles Dickens. And there's a, there's a bit of, I mean, in this, the Christmas Carol has already been written uh, mm -hmm. by 1869, mm -hmm. but there's still a bit of a sense that they're, they've inspired Dickens uh, to, to write further stories. Uh, they've reinvigorated his, uh, his, his writing muse. It's a, to put it well. Yeah. So then they kind of step on that at the very end of the episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, I, I liked the, the, the element where um, that the doctor is a huge fan of Charles Dickens. He's like, I'm your number one fan. And, you know, recites all of these works and the, the, his, you know, this was your, like he really knew Charles Dickens's writings, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because I just did a slight digression. I'm currently reading a book called The Big Oyster, which is a, a story about the history of oysters in America uh, and, and in <laughs> New York City, especially. Uh, New York City was the oyster capital of the world for the, the 17th and 18th, uh, 18th and 19th century. Uh, who knew? Who knew? Uh, but but um, one element of it, is it talks about uh, when Charles Dickens, he visited New York City twice, uh, once uh, when he was a young man at 25, and again, when in his later years, around 58 years old, um, and after his first visit, that he was he was feasted. You know, they had these huge, they had these big balls and 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 parties to feast this famous author from uh, Britain, because despite the wars, Americans were still enamored with with British uh, culture, and. I guess we still are because we watch Doctor Who. But so, but after his visit, he wrote this book uh, called. Um, oh, now it's it's the Doctor references that uh, uh, Mr. Chiselwit. I think oh, it Martin Chiselwit. Martin Chiselwit. Mm -hmm. That's right. I couldn't forget. I forgot Martin. Um, and it was a a book that really criticized Americans. <laughs> it really uh, mocked <laughs> Americans. And so when Dickens came back, some people remembered 25 years later and were not so happy that this guy that they welcomed into their homes uh, treated them so poorly. But I thought it was funny that the doctor specifically references that as a a book that uh, he didn't like and uh, and criticizes for for being yeah. below Dickens. Or he specifically says he didn't like the American bit, that that was just like padding. And the truth is, it was when because uh, Dickens wrote these novels as serials for mm -hmm. publications. And when the sales on that serial started flagging, he introduced this American subplot as a way of trying to get the sales to pick up. So it actually was padding, <laughs> which which is a, a, a bit ironic for uh, Doctor Who to, to criticize uh, padding episodes, uh, given how sometimes their older stuff. <laughs> like we talked about last week, uh, they seem to pad things a bit to to to, to make it longer. Um, there's another there's another kind of dig in that speech too, where uh, the doctor is telling him about how the death of Little Nell always makes him crack up, and the death of Little Nell is supposed to be this tragic, moving thing. But it's written in such a, to some fans' minds, over the top manner that it becomes unintentionally funny, and so the doctor's <laughs> like 
complimenting him for something being funny that wasn't meant to be funny. <laughs> yeah, but but in the end, the the uh, Dickens goes from accusing the doctor of creating this this uh, uh, trick of uh, the light and mirrors of this uh, phantasm appearing during one of his readings um, to being to being solicitous because the doctor's such a huge fan. He's like, Oh, well, of course, yeah. driver drive on, you know, uh, follow his directions. Um, and they, they go on this adventure together. They were trying to rescue Rose. I, I suppose maybe we should kind of back up a, a sec. Yeah. But before we do, yeah. um, I just wanted to say about this scene, I'm generally not a fan of having the doctor be a fan or in general of, of, having guest stars on a TV show and having the main characters fall all over themselves for the guest mm -hmm. star, because it's kind of a cheap way of building up the guest star. I'm interested. I'm here for the main characters. That's what I'm interested in if I'm watching a show. And I don't like to see them debase themselves. You know, it's, oh, this other visiting character is so awesome um, <laughs> in ways that are not shown to us in this episode. It's kind of a cheap style of writing called informed and sometimes it's called informed attributes where instead of showing how great someone is you just tell us how great they are mm -hmm. and so i'm generally not a fan of that but i like how here when the doctor is saying i'm your number one fan to charles dickens he's before that word has come into existence and so he has to explain <laughs> what a fan <laughs> is that it's a shortened form of fanatic that's right and which is a, a, a very American uh, word, exactly. Uh, which which would uh, be funny for uh, uh, Dickens to to hear. Um, so in in this episode, what we have is is we have we start with this this um, uh, funeral home, what we would call a funeral home. They might call it something different at the time, but this undertaker at, in in his uh, this this housemaid and the the dead keep apparently keep rising. <laughs> As they're, you know, as they're preparing them for burial and this one grandma uh, rises from the dead, wakes up and strangles her grandson who is mourning over her uh, in the in the, the funeral home's parlor. And uh, then she goes, wanders off into the night uh, to attend this reading by Charles Dickens that that she had bought tickets for before she died. Um, and so uh, it, it turns out that they're being reanimated by these alien beings who are gaseous in form who are living in the the gas pipes because this is an era of um gaslighting gas, gaslighting everywhere yeah. which is actually now that gaslighting is a term is actually kind of a funny you could you could retro apply the term gaslighting from from yeah. its uh, figurative sense into this episode mm -hmm. um but uh, they live in the gas and so uh they they are reanimating people i I'll be honest. I kind of got lost at this point. <laughs> like, what the? Why they were reanimating the people? I, I kind of, I kind of got lost there. So maybe you can explain yeah. to me what, what the, 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 the idea was. Uh, either well, as, as, <laughs> as, as I kind of understood it, it's because the well, the dead were decaying. They could live within the bodies, right? Right, because the bodies release gas when they decay. By, yeah. Okay. That's why they were able to reanimate. And the reanimating yeah, was was and and the purpose of the reanimating was to communicate. Well, I, I, so I kind of got lost here a little bit too. Um, the one of the things they talk about though is that um, 
the dead are kind of once the the gelf get into them the dead are sort of on autopilot much of the time and that's why the grandma goes to the charles dickens reading because she had been planning on doing that when she was alive and that memory is kind of stuck in her and so the gelf aren't always fully in control of what the dead are doing and that explains yeah. some of their behavior but obviously they have a larger purpose here too um which we eventually get around to um i love how you know the way you describe this dom as you know these these are these alien gaseous life forms I, to me, I'm inclined to just say in this episode, the doctor fights a bunch of glowing blue special effects. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they, they don't have much um, character. You know, they're, they're kind of, well, thin, <laughs> flat. I mean, you might say uh, mm -hmm. as characters, there's not there's not a lot of individuality in in the these aliens. And so they just become a sort of amorphous um, uh, enemy. Because what happens is, is we at first we're told, oh, they're just these good guys who are trapped and we're trying to release them. Uh, and then it turns out that, no, they're really bad guys who are trying to take over the world, which is a trope that we fall into uh, uh, very often in, in a lot of uh, mm -hmm. TV writing. Um, uh, the, the This all takes place in Cardiff at the Cardiff Rift, which is a uh, it's a it's a, a thin point. He describes it as a thin point in space and time. Uh, it, which is a, uh, uh, an idea that will come up later on when, uh, we have, uh, uh, an episode involving Captain Jack Harkness, um, and some other, some other adventures. And, and the, the entire Torchwood series, apparently. Right, right. Exactly. Yes. Uh, um, right. Which is a spinoff from, from Dr. Who. And, um, so which that's I haven't seen really. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've seen an episode and it didn't grab me, so I I didn't yeah. I didn't follow it up myself. Um, so, so so and they were they're looking for someone to open the rift, which they they claim to be so they can get back, but in reality it's so that they can all come through. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, we have this this housemaid, this Irish maid, who apparently has oh, what Welsh Welsh. Oh, was it Welsh? Okay. My my accents were failing me. I I, I didn't uh, quite gather what what her uh, background was. And, and speaking of Torchwood, I mean, she is a Welsh actress. And speaking of Torchwood, Eve uh, Miles, who plays that part, is one of the main characters on Torchwood later on. That's right. That's why there is. Then there is a point where there's the Torchwood and Doctor Who kind of come back together uh, for an episode. And there's some mention of that, of the similarity. And mm -hmm. you look they, familiar. It, yeah. They, they, well, have, the, they're, yeah, they're, they have a, a, a kind of behind the scenes explanation that her physical characteristics somehow passed through the rift through time and imprinted themselves on the future character that she becomes on Torchwood. Yep. Oh, yes. I I would just say, well, you look a lot like the someone I met before, but I suppose we have to we have to come up with explanations. Um but so she has the sight, which is a sort of clairvoyance, and she can almost she can read almost read people's minds in one sense. Uh, she mm -hmm. and and it, and it, there's a scene, a very kind of sort of compelling scene where she she reads Rose's mind. She sees the future London and the future world that she lives in, you know, where it's noisy and crowded and women walk around half naked and and all this other stuff. And she's sort of horrified by it. Um, 
and, and and all of the horrors that Rose has seen, including the big bad wolf. Right, and that's yeah. the first. I think this is the first mention of Big Bad Wolf, is it not? I don't, yeah, I think it may be. I don't recall it being mentioned in either of the previous two episodes. Yeah, I don't. Rec- I don't remember. Yeah, I think this. I think this does. This is where they they first mention Bad Wolf. Okay, because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't recall anything else from that. Yeah, I thought there might have been a a, a a throwaway mention in End of the World about a wolf, but I'm not. I'm not certain of that. But certainly, this is a a very explicit reference to what will become the season long. Um, uh, a story arc concerning, uh, you know, Rose and Bad Wolf, um, and and will be resolved uh-huh. at the end. There is one in the end of the world. Uh, the mocks of Balhoon tells the face of Bo that being trapped on the exploding platform one is the classic Bad Wolf scenario. Okay, okay, that must have been my my subconscious re- uh, memory working there. Uh, good job, subconscious memory. So, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so an element. So, so. Um, so this uh, maid is uh, key to the plot because the the proximity to the rift has apparently given her this 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 extreme form of clairvoyance, which then makes her somehow like the the gatekeeper of the rift, and that she can uh, open it or close it. This is starting to sound a lot like the plot of Ghostbusters, I know, but uh, <laughs> uh, but maybe there was a little inspiration there. Um, I want a giant marshmallow man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, You've... wait, we get that next episode. <laughs> That's <right>. no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. And it uh, isn't nearly as good. Not nearly as good. Um <laughs> So 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 that's really the, sort of the, the the element of the action here. Um, we have Charles Dickens. Um, he he's played as a skeptic in this, which is very interesting. Even in the face of uh, almost you know like a physical evidence right right in front of him, he still is. He you know when he, the the moment is over and the 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 fantastic element has passed, he returns to being skeptical. And I thought that was an interesting uh, choice to play him that way. Um, there's a séance that he's skeptical of, and he's looking for the wires around the corpses and the uh, and the funeral home and that sort of thing. And uh, at w- at one point, the doctor confronts him on this, inf- even and uh, and you know tries to to, to get him. Um, to get him to understand, you know, what the real dangers here. Um, and he plays a role. I mean, the, the Dickens plays a, an important role in this, in the solution that they finally come to, I think. Um, so the, the other, the other element I kind of mention is the doctor almost seems positively gleeful at every, at every detail, everything that happens. Mm-hmm. He's, he's whether good or bad, he seems to just take great joy and excitement. And that's something I remembered about uh, Christopher Eccleton's doctor is that, that, that glee, uh, you know, there, there are moments of sadness, but there's almost like the rest of the time. And this, anger. And, and right. You're right. He's the, he is the angry doctor at sometimes, but there's this glee uh, in, in the Fantastic. joy of discovery. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I thought that was very good. Um and and that's something on a writing level that you would want the doctor to have, especially right now, this early in the revived series. You need to communicate to the audience that stuff is that this is fun, and um, and that means somebody on screen needs to be enjoying it, and right. it needs to be either the doctor or his companion or both. But they can't always be having fun, or there's no drama, so you kind of need a swapping of roles. Well, and at one point in this, when they're uh, 
you know, confronted there in the, 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 the basement of the funeral home and all the, the reanimated corpses are coming at them. I mean, the doctor is, is not gleeful. He's positively fearful. You know, he's, mm-hmm. I'm going to die here and you're going to die here. And this is terrible. Uh, it was, it was actually kind of uh, surprising. This, and that's something that, uh, and that I uh, commented on in our review of the War Games, Patrick Troughton's regeneration episode or series, because Patrick Troughton was more vulnerable than other doctors. He didn't yet have this, you know, there's only one way to solve a problem like this, and that's me kind mm-hmm. of swagger that right. we get later on, especially with uh, it, it, especially in, well, it really comes in in a big way in Silence in the Library, where the doctor right. literally solves a problem by saying to the villain, we're in a library, look me up, and the villain retreats. Right. Um, and, and we're, but we're not at that point yet in the new series where the doctor hasn't become that kind of over-the-top intimidation factor. And so he's barely survived this horrific event that we know almost nothing about called the Time War. He's still more vulnerable and the audience is just learning him. And so he he can be scared and that makes the drama more effective. And speaking of the time war, that does get a mention here. The the the, the Gelf mm-hmm. claim to have been uh, made homeless by the time war. Um, and another and the first race that we had that happen with was uh, the Nestine, the Autons. Right. So this more continuing fallout from the time war. Right. Um, another thing I notice about uh, this episode and the previous ones, there's not a lot of sonic screwdriver use by the Ninth Doctor here. We're still before the time I think when the sonic screwdriver becomes the magic wand. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it occasionally yep. shows up, but uh, not. It's not a, an all-purpose tool yet. It's kind of come and gone in Doctor Who history. There have been times where they've deliberately taken it away from him to make the uh, to make the 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 plot uh, move in a different way. So it kind of comes and goes. Okay. Um, so w- what do you think? What is you know what is it about? Does anything stand out to you about this story that makes it sort of unique, uh, interesting? Um, anything that that you particularly liked about this episode or disliked? For me, I, I mean, it, it was okay. It's not the most memorable episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, I I didn't particularly, I wasn't particularly, didn't particularly love it. I thought the ending was a little mushy. Uh, I I I I'm not quite certain how the re- resolved it just did uh, that sort of thing. So um, it was again, like as I said before, when I first started watching Doctor Who, it was with this season, and it lost me after the first f- uh, five episodes. And then I came back and then it, I, I, after that, I, you know, when I finally resolved to watch it again, that's when it really grabbed me. But uh, these first five are, are not my favorites. And this Father is among Corey, them. What did, what did you think, Father Corey? You know, this, you know, I, I'm kind of uh, on the meh side of things too. It was like, okay, it's, it was, it's, it's one of these episodes. It's, I think it's fun to watch if you don't take it too seriously, but it really isn't that great of an episode in my opinion you know i just you know yeah i when i watched it the first time and, and this is you know there are episodes from um from the christopher eccleson era that i've watched over and over you know um there's some really good episodes there's some episodes that are you know the uh uh that you're worth watching this isn't one of them 
I watched it when it first came out. I've even watched it twice since. It's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's forgettable. I, I I tend to agree with that. I think that this episode, it does do a couple of things that are somewhat risk-taking. Um, one is the way that it treats the reanimation of the corpses is kind of a little edgy for family viewing television. Um, I mean, it's this is not The Walking Dead. Um, it's not that graphic or anything like that. But you, for family television, they're uh, they're kind of frank. They're kind of scary about, about death and corpses, and it's kind of yeah. scary. Um, so I appreciate that about it. Um, also, they have, and we alluded to this earlier, a kind of downer ending where after they've they've um, they've uh, re-inspired Charles Dickens to like write more stuff based on his encounter with the doctor and Rose, uh, the doctor then tells Rose, oh, he dies next year. He's never going to do any of that. Right. And it's like, ah, okay, <laughs> thank you very much for that. Um, so, you know, that's a little bit unconventional for an episode mm-hmm. like this. Um, and, but as I said earlier, I'm not that impressed with special historical guest star episodes in general to, mm-hmm. to me, they tend to be less creative and less interesting. Um, I don't like the way they have the doctor fawn over either Charles Dickens or William Shakespeare or Agatha Christie. Um, so having said that, I'm, I'm pretty met on the whole thing. I'd say there's no reason not to watch this. I mean, it's okay as basic entertainment. There's nothing, uh, there's certainly episodes I hate much more than this. I don't hate this one. I'm yep. just kind of blah about it. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's in the DVD set, watch it fine, but there's no, no big reason to go back and watch it multiple times. That's right. I think, I, I think we're in basic agreement on that then. So, um, so I think there's not much left to say then on, on the Unquiet <laughs> Dead. Sorry, uh, sorry, Mark Gaddis, on on your episode. But uh, oh, he, oh, one he, thing, one thing ahead. that we can say about this. Um, one of the rec- I saw someone point this out. One of the recurring themes that Mark Gaddis has in his writing is nostalgia. And if you think about um, the episodes of Doctor Who that he's written, that really comes through. Uh, we, in this, we have nostalgia for England in the 19th century um, and for Dickens and his literature. Uh, later on, uh, we're going to have another episode set in the 19th century. It's like the, the Crimson Horror or something like that. Uh, it's set in the 19th century. It's about little little evil monsters sucking people's blood or something like that. Um, but it's set in the industrial revolution. We have the Robin, uh, Robin hood episode, robot of Sherwood, um, clearly nostalgic. Most recently we have Empress of Mars where we get 19th century British soldiers encountering the ice warriors. Um, so, so, uh, you see that here, that nostalgia British nostalgia theme in his very first episode, and that's going to carry forward into the ones mm-hmm. he writes later on. Okay. That's a good point. That's a good theme, I think, uh, that we see. Uh, great. So, you know, uh, that's what we think about The Unquiet Dead. What do you think of The Unquiet Dead? Um, let us know. Visit us at tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com. 
Uh, go to our Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave some feedback. We love seeing that. Send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. Uh, if you want to send us some voice feedback, send us some audio feedback, uh, record your, your feedback using your uh, the voice memo function on your uh, on your smartphone. Uh, they, they all have uh, something like that. And then email it to us at Who at sqpn.com. Because um, we're, we're, we'd like to do a feedback show where we just kind of respond and discuss uh, listener feedback, and that would be that would be a great addition. Uh, you can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes uh, and our show notes at tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com. Uh, we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing Planet of the Spiders, a regeneration episode from the third Doctor to the fourth. Uh, until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining us in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Always glad to be here. And uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. My pleasure, Dom. Uh, once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Uh, thank you for listening. And remember, Undertakers don't keep office hours because the dead don't die on schedule. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.